This time of year, I always find myself immersed in a certain amount of nostalgia, that I look back on the past traditions and events and all of those things that become hallmarks in my life, and I'm really filled with a sort of remembrance of those things. And in particular, though we're approaching the Christmas season, we're not quite there yet, I remember one of the events that set that off, and that was Thanksgiving itself. Because every year there was this particular ritual and routine that we went through as the Belkin family. And so we would get up early, we would go to the 9 a.m. Mass at St. Michael's in Fredericktown, and then eventually we would go back home. Mom would be preparing a few dishes on the side, and eventually we would put everything into the car when we'd pile in, and then we would drive over to our Grandma Belkin's house, where we'd spend the remainder of the day. Then we'd have all sorts of good food, good conversation, we would be there with all of our relatives, our aunts, our uncles, and our cousins, and that was just such a beautiful time. And I remember thinking back on that so fondly because it wasn't just the sights, it wasn't just the smells, it wasn't just the different things that were there, but it was just that feeling of peace and security, that feeling of being together, that that's always what I've looked back upon and that's what I've cherished for years and years. And as we look at it, we're often looking for that place of peace and comfort and security. This often as we're bouncing around life, we're looking for those things that really give us that solace in this life. And many things we can identify, maybe it's Thanksgiving Day, maybe it's those particular events that surround it, or maybe it's just being with friends and family members. But at the end of the day, what's going to give us peace and comfort that lasts forever? Because today we celebrate a particular feast and solemnity in the church, our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. That it reminds us that the Lord is not just King of this life, but he's the, life that in, in, he's the King of that, that particular place, of that life that is to come. That he's the one that reigns forever and ever. But are we focused on that, and are we letting Jesus Christ truly be King, not just now, but in the life to come? We start out with the reading from the second book of Samuel because in this we're given a particular image of King David being selected and anointed as king. So we hear about how he's dwelling outside of Hebron, and all of a sudden the tribes of Israel go up to him and they start to tell him, look, all of these different things, you've led Israel in and out, you've done all of these tremendous things, and even the Lord himself has asked you to shepherd your, the, this people and to command that entire flock. And so they're asking him to be king. Now, it's not necessarily just because of what he's done, that he's done some truly monumental things in the entirety of his military career, but that's not exactly why they're asking. They're asking because the Lord asked, that he wanted him to be anointed, that he wanted him to be taken up as king and to lead the entire nation. And so the people come, and then the elders also approach and ask him to be anointed king, and David agrees, and then he's anointed right there. There's actually a beautiful scene and a beautiful testament to the work of God, but it also shows us that temporal nature and that temporal kingship that is given to him, that he's leading that entire people, at least for a time, as their spiritual leader, but also as their political leader as well. That he's been selected as king, and he's leading the entire nation of Israel. Then we move on to St. Paul in his letter to the Colossians, and this is actually a beautiful piece of theology because it actually delves into what we call Christology, or exactly what Christ is or what we know about him. And so it goes in and it starts and it lays everything out from the very beginning. How Jesus Christ was there, he was the begotten Son of God from all the beginning of time. That God has never, we can never find a place where God has never existed, and because of that we can never find a place where Jesus didn't exist either. But what is Jesus exactly? 
Well, St. Paul goes in that he reveals the invisible God, that he is the one that is made visible, that he reveals all of these mysteries. And what's furthermore, he's the firstborn of all creation, that everything is held together by him. And then we get into those mysteries of salvation, how we know that we suffered, we fell, and we couldn't get into the kingdom of heaven ourselves. And yet there's something at play here because God sends his son into our reality so that he can redeem us and he can restore us to peace. And so as much as he holds everything together on this earth, we see that he goes over and he's the firstborn of the dead, not just the firstborn of all creation, but of the entirety of all creation. Because he's the firstborn of the dead, which means he's the one that enters into the kingdom of heaven. He's been given dominion over that place as well. So he makes peace by the blood of his cross, that we see that we're redeemed, that we're given that possibility of eternal life again because Jesus Christ poured out his blood and he purchased that place for us. That it is ultimately and fundamentally his kingdom, but he wants to give us a share in that as well. That's why this reading is so beautiful, because St. Paul's laying all of this out, that he's trying to explain exactly what Jesus Christ does, how he comes, how he suffers, he dies, he rises again, and he opens up that possibility of salvation, and he opens up that kingdom of heaven to each and every one of us. And then we reach the gospel, which is very much different than the previous two. Because we're speaking about kingship in the first two, and yet whenever we reach the gospel, it seems that we're reaching something that flies in the face of kingship. Because this is the year and this is the cycle that we go through, and we actually celebrate the fact that Christ died on the cross. And we hear about that very real reality right here. Because it's telling us about the ways that Jesus Christ was on the cross, how he chose to suffer and to die, and yet in the world's view, that seems like something that's contradictory, because it seems like it's something that is not what a king would do. It seems like it's a failed kingship, if anything. We know, in fact, that there's more. He's not just king of the Jews. He's not just king of this world, but he's king over all. And in fact, the two criminals that are crucified on his left and on his right, they give us that particular idea, and they give us a real revelation of what it means to accept Jesus just simply as a king here, or to accept him as king over all. And so the first one that approaches and that speaks to Jesus, he only accepts Jesus as a temporal ruler, that he only sees him as king right here and right now. And because of that, he's seeking and searching for something that Jesus can provide, but is something that's so small in comparison to everything else that Jesus rules over, that he's telling Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Save yourself and us. Get us out of this plight. Get us out of this situation right here and right now. That it's almost like he's poking fun at Jesus because he almost doesn't believe, but he's desperate enough, he'll try anything. And so as he's going through, he's pointing at Jesus saying, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself and us, get us out of this right now. But there's something that's wrong with this, that he's got such a worldview that it's so small. He's only looking at this life. He's only looking at this world. He's not really looking at what Jesus wants to do for him and really do for him in a monumental and overflowing way. And so the second one gets it because he rebukes the first and he says that this man has done nothing wrong, that we've been punished for our crimes. We're suffering here for something we've done and rightly so. And yet Jesus is doing something more. And he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is powerful. This reminds us that Jesus is not just king of this earth, but in fact, he's king of something so much more because he's the king of the entirety of all creation and even heaven itself. 
And so he's that king that lords over all. And this criminal recognizes that. He asks him to be remembered when Jesus enters into his kingdom. He has the humility to approach and ask something courageous to be given access to the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus reward this faith with? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in that place where there's no more suffering. Today you will be with me in my Father's house in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That it isn't just this life that Jesus lords and rules over, but in fact he rules over the entirety of all creation and leads us to the kingdom of heaven, that place of eternal beatitude, that place where there's no more suffering, no more tears, and that place where we can live forever and live in peace and comfort and security. Isn't that a profound thought? But it should lead us back through a few different steps to get there. Because first, we have to consider, if we're looking at all of this, we have to wonder, what is our end? Where are we headed? Because the fact of the matter is, so often in this life, we can lose sight of that reality, and we can start to settle for things that are so much less. Because that first criminal that was crucified by Jesus, he was simply looking to get ahead in this life. He wasn't looking for what Jesus could truly do for him. And the second one had that idea that, in fact, that he saw the exact moment that he was given an opportunity to ask for something more because he recognized that Jesus was not just king of this life, but he was king of the life to come as well. And so he knows that Jesus is ruling not just now, but in all of life. That even in that moment of defeat, that it seems like the cross would be an utter moment of failure, that this criminal still knows that there's something more powerful that Jesus is about. And that's a moment of a reminder for us, because in this life we can get so easily bogged down by the daily things that we have to do, that we can get bogged down by all of the pride, all of the vanity, all of the different things that seek to strive for our attention, or maybe money or prestige or all of these different things that can really get in the way and really cause us to block Jesus out. But the reality is that we need to be concerned with that kingdom of heaven, because if we're not concerned, we won't really focus on how we get there. But if we do focus on the kingdom of heaven, then we're going to really take the steps necessary to continue to pursue that eternal kingdom and that kingdom of heaven. But we have to have an awareness of that here and now. We can't just look at the things that are of this life and are passing in a temporary, but we really have to look for the things that are eternal, the things that endure, the things that last not only a lifetime, but last into the lifetime to come. But then we have to consider this, because if we look at that, then we have to wonder what exactly is taking that place of Christ's kingship right now? What's filling up our hearts and our souls? Because King David, we look back at that second book of Samuel, and we're reminded about that temporal kingship. And it's good, because that nation needs that leader, it needs that ruler that continues to provide for them and provides them that solid support. But there's something so much more. Because Jesus isn't just Lord of this life, just like King David would have been, but he's Lord of the entirety of all of creation. And so that's a good reminder for us to not seek all of those things of this earth or this life, or the things that are constantly passing away, but to seek the things that eternally endure. And why is that? And then St. Paul enters with his letter to the Colossians. Because he reminds us that Jesus Christ is not only Lord of this life, he's not only Lord of just a small part of creation, but he's the Lord of everything. Because he's been there since the beginning of time, and what's more, he's so powerful in his rule that even death has no say against him. That that's why he's the firstborn of all creation, and that he's the firstborn of the dead. Because he's that one that even death itself has no power over him, and it has no ability to control him. And because of that, he wants to give us a share as well. 
Because he doesn't want to just reserve that kingdom for himself, but he wants to reserve that kingdom for all of us, all of the ones who choose not to live just for this life, but choose to live for the next one as well. And that's the reality that Jesus Christ is telling us, that he's the Lord of the universe, but there's something more particular and more powerful here, that he's Lord of our life. That he shouldn't just be Lord of all of creation in some sort of corporate way, but he should rather be Lord of each of our hearts and our souls. But there's a catch, because he's not going to force himself in, but he's going to be welcomed in if we're willing to let him, if we're bold and courageous enough to let our Lord rule over our hearts and our souls and our minds and everything that we have. And if we do that, I dare say we won't just be satisfied in this life, but we're going to be satisfied in the life to come as well. Because much like whenever I reminisce about, my, about Thanksgiving at my grandmother's house, it was a beautiful time, but I knew that those days won't last forever, that those occasions that I'm able to go for Thanksgiving won't always be there. But I know that I will be truly satisfied, truly comforted, and truly at peace in that house that lasts forever, in that banquet that lasts for all time, and that is the kingdom of God. And that's really the reminder for each one of us today, my brothers and sisters. Yes, we need to have Jesus Christ as Lord of our life and as King of the entire universe, but we also need to give him the liberty and the ability to enter into our hearts and our souls as well. But the question for each of us to consider, what's blocking Jesus out right now? What's taking up that reign of Jesus? What's really pushing him to the side and putting maybe us as number one? Because all of those things can get in the way and they really block out Jesus' kingship, but also that peace and that security that Jesus wishes to provide through his reign and his rule. But we have to be willing to put those things to the side. But what are they? So many times there's sins, there's weaknesses, there's different things that really push Jesus out of that throne. So many times there's pride, there's vanity, there's money, there's possessions. There's all sorts of things that can really get in the way of Jesus' kingship within our hearts and our souls. But are we bold enough to put those things to the side? Are we bold enough to admit to ourselves those things don't truly satisfy forever? Are we bold enough to admit that we're seeking the kingdom of God and that Jesus Christ is the only one who holds the keys to that kingdom? Because if we're bold enough, we're going to surrender whatever takes up that kingship and we're going to put it to the side to truly make Lord or make Jesus Christ not just king of the universe, but kings of our hearts and our souls as well. And that's the reminder for each one of us. And I dare say it gives us a moment of homework as well, because the Advent season is rapidly approaching, and it's a beautiful time for us to really upright everything and to give Jesus Christ back his throne, to put those things to the side that we individually struggle with and really seek the ways that we're going to put Jesus Christ back into that throne. So my brothers and sisters, the question, if we're headed to the kingdom of God, if we're headed to making Christ king, what's really getting in the way of that relationship right now? And what do we need to do to really make Jesus Christ Lord and king, not just of the universe, not just of this earth, or not just heaven, but Lord of each and every one of our hearts and our souls as well? Because he reminds us the kingdom of heaven is his, but if we truly want to enter, if we truly want to have that peace and that security forever, then we're going to seek that kingdom. We're going to seek to make Jesus Christ not just Lord of this earth, not just king of heaven, but king of the entire universe and of each and every one of us.